Good morning. Sorry, I was hoping for a longer prayer this morning. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? I have a little bit of a ring on my mic here. Um, but let's, let's just go to Lord in prayer first before anything else. Father, we worship you and we praise you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gift of your Son, <clears throat> who by choice gave his life on the cross, conquered death, rose from the grave, and sits at the right hand of you even as we speak. If that's all we know, then we know everything. I thank you, God, that your intention with your creation was, is, and always will be relationship, intimacy, life, back and forth. I thank you, God, for each person here, each person online, each person that will hear this. I thank you for the hungry hearts that seek you, that seek that intimacy with you. I pray this morning over this word, God, that you use my voice according to your will, not my own. I give you my hands, my feet, my mouth, my will my mind. I ask that you speak this morning what you want. That your Holy Spirit permeates this place, not only in what is spoken through me, but what is received by those who hear. For the Spirit will always agree with itself. And Lord, we just pray that you bring us to a new place of intimacy with you. Because there's never an arrival. There's never a depth reached that can go no further. With you for all eternity, there is more depth and more intimacy to go. Thank you for that. Lord, I especially pray because of the subject that you've given me this morning that you give a clarity in what is taught. A clarity in the words, a clarity in your scripture. Because this foundation is critically important to our relationship with you. We love you, Lord, and thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was with the Lord. This Today is different, guys, I'll tell you. Today is different. Normally, I don't know until I get up here what I'm going to talk about. I've got to be honest with you. Those are probably easier days because then I don't have to think about it. 
right? It's when he gives me something ahead of time that I have to think about it and, okay, Lord, am I missing something here? Do I have everything here? And those are a little more difficult for me, to be honest with you. This week is one of those weeks. Monday night, the Lord woke me up. I guess technically it would have been Tuesday morning. He woke me up at 3.45 in the morning. And it was one of those times where you wake up and you are wide awake. Which is, I mean, I don't think I went to bed until 12.30 or 1. But I woke up at 3.45 and I was wide awake. And, okay, (laughs) what are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? Immediately he started taking me to Scripture. Immediately he laid on my heart this outline for something that, uh, to me, I guess, has been obvious, I suppose. That's probably a bad word for it, but but to me it was foundational and, and pretty obvious. But he started taking me through his scripture. He started taking me through the the other side of this, the other view of this, for the purpose of understanding other hearts about it. And... To be honest with you, when he did that, because it, it, it probably lasted a couple hours, when he did that, I wasn't sure what it was for. I, I thought, okay, well, this is great information. You know, we're, we're going to have discussion, and maybe this will be used. And I had no idea in the moment that he was going to have me speak on it. And then as I was going throughout the week, he kept saying, no, go back to this is important. And it's regarding eternal security. Understanding who you are in Jesus Christ, period. Understanding that is important, not to your salvation, but to your outlook on your calling. Right? There, there's a motivation here because you have, you have two views, right? Pretty simple. You have a view of somebody who says, you cannot lose your salvation. And, and by the way, both of these are in the bride. This is not somebody who's saved and not saved. This is a view from those who are saved, perhaps even in this room. I don't know. We, honestly, I, I've preached about I've said the concept many times, but but the Lord's never had me preach about this. So perhaps even in this room, there are people that feel different ways. So this is not something that affects your eternity. In other words, which way you believe. But it affects how you pursue your relationship with Jesus Christ. And I really believe that's why he's bringing it up now. Because there is a purity that he wants, a, a innocence that he wants in pursuing him, which can only come from confidence in him. He had me write down a motivation that I, that I wrote down here, and I said, motivation of having eternal security. We either 
in, in this foundation of having eternal security or not having eternal security, those two ideas give us either a foundation of fear or one of confidence. Both of them, again, I wrote down, both of them can produce. Both can produce fruit. But there are levels of intimacy that cannot be achieved with a foundation of fear. Anybody who is a manager in here, or a business owner, or anybody who has managed people, employees, or whatever, you know that you can motivate them out of fear. Right? I mean, the military knows that. <laughs> right? You can also motivate them in a more positive way. Right? You dangle the carrot instead of hold the gun. Right? It's two philosophies. Both can get the job done. Both can. You can see it happen in both. But there is only one that produces real intimacy, real friendship, real relationship. Now, I'm not talking about a fear that the Bible talks about when it says an awe of who God is. That's, that's not, that is a fear of God. That's not a fear like you're going to kill me, God. Okay? That is a, a fear of recognizing that we are not on His level. Recognizing that He, the Supreme God, the Creator of the universe, deserves our respect, our awe, our fear. Okay, that is different than being afraid, and so you produce out of fear. Is everybody with me on this? Do you understand? So there is a motivation here that is different. So understanding this concept is important in you, in you moving forward. Because very soon, we're going to be dealing with many people. We're going to be dealing with people who don't know Jesus Christ. We're going to be dealing with people that don't want to know Jesus Christ. So in that, you had better be confident in who you are in Jesus Christ. You had better be confident in what He has done for you. And so I want to go through this. And, and I'm going to be real honest with you. There are, I, I see the argument on both sides. I see it. That's why it's such, such a separation in the church. Some believe in eternal security. Some don't. Christians actually separate over that. I've I got to be honest with you. This is not a separatable, if that's a word, offense. I mean, I might feel sorry for somebody who does not have the belief in eternal security because of the angst deep down in their foundation knowing that they have to work for something. Okay, however, it's not a separatable offense. But man, when you're about to walk onto the battlefield, you better know who you are in Jesus Christ. You better know what he did for you. You better know that it was him that did it and nobody else. Because Satan will come against you. Believe me. I've seen it. Where the demonic spirits will bring up every crack 
in your walk with God. And by the way, that's not something to be afraid of either because he has given us authority to step on them. Okay, do you have authority to go after any, any demonic spirits? No. Especially principalities and that only the, only the ones that the Lord sends you to go after because he is giving you purpose in that and the authority in that. However, do you have the authority to go after any demonic spirit, even Satan himself, when he comes after you? Absolutely. Absolutely. He threw the first punch. <laughs> Man, don't run. Block. Punch back. Right? And you have to be prepared to do that. So I want to read... I'm going to go from the conclusion first, and then we're going to go back. And, and just buckle up and take out your pens, please. This, this is going to be a lot of information. I think I have about 185,000 verses we're going to go through. Okay, but, but please write this down. Go back, listen again, because it's important to have the foundation of this confidence. And really all of it boils down to a verse that I quote probably as much as any other verse that I quote. And that is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Right? That's what it boils down to and I want to start there. So Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 says this, In Him... And, and before this, it was talking about those who, have, who, have, who, who the, the Lord knows is going to, you know, through foreknowledge knows who is going to become his children. But he says, in him, verse 13, you also, when you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, in other words, when you knew what Jesus Christ did on the cross, when you knew that God came as a man in the flesh to the earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead three days later and ascended into heaven, when you know that, that's what the gospel of your salvation is. When you know that and you believed it, you believed in Him, what happens? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the moment you did that, the moment you believed, boom, there is a stamp on your spirit. That word sealed there in the Greek is the same term used by the governmental leaders that would stamp a law. In fact, it's the same word, the same connotation as those of old, the pharaohs and those who led in Persia and all that, that when they spoke a law, it was guaranteed. They couldn't even change it. We know that from the story of Daniel. Right? He, he, the king was duped into doing that law, and, and he didn't realize that they were going against Daniel for it. And he said, there's nothing I can do. Hopefully, your God will spare you from the lions, and they did, and then those guys got eaten by the lions. Right? But he was sealed. When he did that, it was sealed. He couldn't, even the king couldn't stop it. 
That's what this verse means, that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are stamped with the Holy Spirit. And it says here what that means. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. What does that word guarantee mean? It means it's guaranteed. (laughs) It means it's definite. We don't have to parse the word. It means it's yours. It doesn't mean that, well, it's yours as long as we stay in business, like we would think of a guarantee here on earth. You know, my my Ford truck is guaranteed for a certain number of miles as long as they stay in business, right? We don't have to worry about that. Our salvation is guaranteed. And then one of the best words, in my opinion, and there are a few, but one of the best words in all the Bible, the word until. Praise God. Because it could have said, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we really screw up really bad? It doesn't say that. It says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it? To the praise of his glory. What is the inheritance? If you read earlier in the, in the chapter, it is eternal life. It's not some button that you get when you get saved. Now you get this button. You're, you get the saved button. And, and that, that's yours. That's yours until you die. No. No, this is something that is being stamped on your Holy Spirit. It is the literal power of the Holy Spirit putting His name on your spirit to say, I will give you eternal life because you have believed and I am holding you until you receive it. Now, there would be others that would believe that you can actually lose that. And in all my discussions with them, because it goes back and forth, trust me, there's a lot of confusing information about this. It goes back and forth. But one thing that cannot be refuted, and this is what I want to ingrain in you, is Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Not a single one that I have ever talked to in my entire life has been able to answer that in accordance to losing your salvation. They can't answer it because it's very plain. It's very clear. So before I get into the other side of this, I want to explain that this confidence issue, you've got to settle this in your heart. You've got to settle this in your heart. Because otherwise the enemy will take you to a place of works, even if it's in the slightest way. He'll take you to a place of works and not relationship. He can't take your salvation. But what he can do is he can mess up your work. He can mess up your testimony, and that's what he tries to do. 
So there are, and I'm, I'm going to go through a couple of passages here that i got, I got to be honest with you, I don't have an answer for. Neither does anybody else that I have ever met in my whole life. Okay, but I want to point them out because I said a long time ago I would be transparent in my walk with this church and with everybody. And, and I'm not showing you things I just have the answer for. These next things I don't have an answer for. I have a theory. Okay, and I'm going to tell you my theory, but that's all it is. I don't have an answer. I do know that when you see two things in the Word of God that seemingly contradict each other. I remember a mentor of mine used to say, get excited. Because if you dig deep enough, you're going to find a gem that you never knew was there. And that's happened over and over again. So, in these things, it would be a seeming contradiction. Now, by the way, this isn't even talking about losing your salvation. I just wanted to point these out because these are probably the most confusing things in the Word of God, in my opinion. And they have to do with salvation and they have to do with choice. So I want to point them out. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 12. We've all heard about the unpardonable sin. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I've got to tell you, I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours not only studying this, but talking with the Lord about it. And it is a very difficult thing to understand. Because I want to go to verse, and, and, and by the way, it, there, there are two times that it talks about this. Mark chapter 3 is the other one, but I want to, I want to stay in Matthew because it, it, it actually says a little bit more. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, says this. Then a demon, and this, Jesus was on the earth, this was during, uh, during his walk on the earth. He said, then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now Jesus, knowing their hearts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste. Now, by the way, can I take a moment and just just project to our friends online that think we follow demons or demonic voices here at Ignition? Please study this passage. Please look at the fruit of our ministry. And, and realize what you are really, really doing and really saying. Because it's the very thing that Jesus was speaking against the Pharisees for doing. He said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? 
Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Which we know to be true. Verse 29. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, and this is the verse, therefore I tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whomever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. That's a tough passage. Because you can look at that and say, a person can lose their salvation. I being saved right now, I know Jesus Christ is my Savior. If I turned and blasphemed the Holy Spirit, then I would not ever receive forgiveness. It's easy to understand that in terms of eternal life. But yet, that goes against the very passage that we just read in Ephesians. So there has to be something more to it. Or one of those is wrong. Right? Are you with me? Let's look at another one. Another confusing one. Revelation 22. Revelation 22, verse 18. This is the very end of the book of Revelation. The very last words, because Revelation was the last book written, written by John, I believe in 94 or 95 A.D., something like that, if I recall. These were some of the last words. He said in verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words, Of the prophecy of this book. By the way, this book. What book? Revelation. Okay, not the Bible. Not, please don't misapply that, which so many people do. That, well, God doesn't speak now because he spoke in his 66 books and he doesn't speak anymore. He put duct tape around his mouth. Because he can't speak anymore because nothing more can be added into his book. That is baloney. That is a lie. What John is referring to here is anybody who adds to these prophecies or detracts from these prophecies of what God is going to do in the end times. The intent of what He is doing with Israel. The intent of what He is doing with His bride. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Okay, let me use me as an example again. I've accepted the Lord as Savior. I'm saved, right? Okay, what if I start taking away from the book? let's, Let's say I start preaching that, you know what? had a revelation, 
that Revelation is really not from God. We're going to just take that out of the Bible, or maybe I'll pick and choose what we're going to take out of the Bible. What would happen? Well, this verse would apply to me, right? So wait, it it would take away my portion, my right to the tree of life. But yet, what what about Ephesians 1, 13 and 14? See, you have another quandary there. Because, see, both don't seem to work together. Both seem to be opposite. They seem to be saying opposite things. So this is where I'm just going to tell you my theory. Now, I've got to say, I believe really strongly in my theory, but it is my theory. You need to dig on your own, sit with the Lord, and come up with your own. But, but there has to be something, because both are in the Word of God, both concepts, both verses, seemingly opposite, but yet everything God, God does and says goes together. The truth lies in the understanding of salvation. I've said this a million times. You can accept Jesus Christ into your heart. You can hear the gospel of your salvation and receive Him by believing. Right? That's what the Bible calls justification of sin. You are justified by what you believed. Not by what you did, but by what you believed. You are justified. Then a new phase of your salvation starts. It was, it's what Paul talked about when he said, work out your salvation. Not, oh man, you know, you've got to work hard so you can be saved. We know that's not true either. A works-based salvation is false. That's actually pretty clear in the Bible. Christians get it muddled when they add the works into the relational part of it. So in this case, something else is going on. I believe that what these verses are applying to is your sanctification. Your relationship. Your relational movement with God. Because that is something that the Bible's clear can be taken away. Right? It can be. We have rewards and, and talks about in, in the, Jesus talks about in the Gospels how, how you have these rewards. Stay firm so you don't lose your rewards. Is he talking about the reward of eternal life? No, because eternal life was never a reward in the first place. A reward is something you earn. It's something you get because you did something. That's what a reward is. We earn that. Eternal life is not something we can earn. We can't possibly earn that. Because the requirement of that was purity and holiness being offered as a sinless sacrifice. There was only one who could do that. And he did. So our salvation, our justification comes solely through belief. So I believe what these talk about is that... Sorry, I do want to go back real quick to Matthew 
I believe what these talk about is a loss of reward, a loss of placement in eternity, but not your eternal life. And if we go back to verse 36 of Matthew chapter 12, going down past where we read before, and and let's just start at 33. Remember, we had just read about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit here in, in chapter 12. Then verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word that they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Wait a second, that sounds an awful lot like work salvation. By your works, you're going to be justified, or by your works, you're going to be condemned. In other words, there is a judge that will sit there and say, you did good or you did bad. Please don't apply that to your eternal life. Don't apply that to your justification of sin because you can't earn it. It has nothing to do with you outside of belief. But your rewards and your placement, it has everything to do with. You can lose those. And that is what will be judged by your words. It says here, by every careless word. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Because before you start thinking that, okay, wait a second, maybe, maybe according to those verses, it can be that we're justified by works and, and not purely by grace. Let's read this here. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 5. Actually, let's start at verse 4 because I, I love when God lays something out and, and then it says, but God. Because it's saying literally... No hope, no hope, no hope, no hope, but God. And then God comes in and saves the day. Verse 4. But God, rich in mercy, being, er, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. What does that word gift there mean? It means gift. It means gift. Unconditional gift. Simply given. Not taken. Not earned. But given. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. 
God will not share His glory of what He did on the cross with anyone. Anyone. It can't be earned. It can't be bartered. It can't be pleaded for. It is only given. And that is for His glory, not our own. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Please understand there is a separation between justification of sin and sanctification, which we call relationship. Two different things. I'm telling you, if you accept Jesus Christ into your heart, you cannot lose it. You cannot even give it away. So these other things, this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which by the way you can get into and really try to understand what that is, Jesus said effectively that they were claiming what the Holy Spirit was doing was actually Satan. Who? Man, you look at it that way, and the people that have spoken against us are doing the very same thing. I would hate to believe that that would make them lose their salvation. That wouldn't even make sense. That doesn't go with Scripture. But do they lose what God intended for their lives and the afterlife for them? Absolutely. Do they lose the very placement in eternity that is earned? That is earned. Our justification is not earned, but our placement, our relationship with the Lord is earned. We do have a place in that. Just like any relationship that you build, it is something you build. Right? It's, it's a tandem. It's with the other person. But you can't just say, hey, build a relationship with me. Let me know how it's going. That doesn't work so well. Thank the Lord that He didn't do that for us. He didn't do that for us. He said, I want relationship with you. I am all in. I need you to be all in too. So those two unpardonable sins, please understand, they do not apply. In my opinion, they do not apply to eternal life. And by the way, you could go and you could read further up in, up in uh, Revelation 22. And I don't want to get into this because we'll be here till 4 o'clock. Okay, but trust me, I've, I've been there so many times when in eternity there are people that will be in different placements. We know not everybody will be allowed to enter the gates of the New Jerusalem. It says that specifically. And yet, and yet, the New Jerusalem isn't the whole thing on the earth at the time. Because it says, and this is after great white throne judgment, this is after the new heavens and new earth has been remade. This, this is at the end, which to God is probably the beginning. But this is way after everything. And it says that kings and nations will bring their spoil into the New Jerusalem. To literally glorify God. Now that's a cool statement, but it tells you something. It tells you that there are nations that will still be upon the earth. 
that there will be a leadership structure still upon the earth. That there will be requirements of that leadership structure still upon the earth. It also tells you that there will be people on the earth that cannot come into the city of God. Cannot come into the new Jerusalem. I mean, that's really plain. It's really plain, very basic. So please understand, I do not believe that those unpardonable sins are dealing with eternal justification of sin. In fact, I'll tell you one other story. If they did, then there would be people alive today, redeemable people that are alive today, that have no chance at accepting Jesus Christ as Savior. If you believe that, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for them if you're the one in their life. That's patently untrue. I can tell you because we've experienced it. We have seen many witches, and when I say witches, I'm not talking Wicca witches that go worship a tree. I'm talking about witches that worship Satan. We have dealt with many that have come to know the Lord. There was one specifically who came to know the Lord who was one of the seven brides of Satan. Okay, she worshipped him. She hated God, hated the Holy Spirit, even worse, hated Jesus. So for all intents and purposes, if you believe that that applies to eternal justification of sin, then she can't be saved. But yet she was. She ended up seeing the lies that Satan had said. She ended up accepting Jesus Christ as Savior, becoming his bride instead. So if you believe that that is the unpardonable sin in terms of justification of sin, then you cannot believe that someone like that can be redeemed. Shame on you. Because they can be, and I've seen it. I've seen it literally dozens of times with witches. And we're going to see it. We're going to see it. The Lord told me one time that that, that the witches, literally, those who worship Satan, will be the spark in what he does through his bride. How amazing of a statement in the, is that? Kind of goes against that whole Matthew 12 thing, though. And Mark 3. So by grace are you saved. We, I, I think, I think it's, it's clear that the Lord is talking about something else when he is talking about that unpardonable sin. So let, let's look at some of these other passages, which these are the passages that, that people who believe in that there is no eternal security, these are the passages they use, and they're confusing. I'm going to come right straight out and say it. They're confusing if you don't dig into them. If you dig into them, they're not confusing at all. It just happens to be the person who wrote them is confusing. And that's Paul. I, I can't wait to meet Paul. You know, re remember Paul's background. He was a legalist. He was attuned to what? The law. 
it, it's it's kind of like kind of like meeting a intellectual lawyer, right? That that isn't one that argues on, you know, in in the courtroom, but they're the ones that do all the research and get all the. It's hard to track sometimes with people like that. Sorry, I'm kind of going off on a tangent there a little bit. But two main references used to deny eternal security both happen to be in the book of Hebrews. Now, I'm not going to dovetail into this, okay? But you have to understand that I believe strongly there is heavy evidence that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. That's why I reference Paul doesn't really matter because it's whoever the writer is. You can reference the same thing. I believe it's heavily Paul because um, oh, there's about 20 reasons why. What he quotes there, he quoted in other things. Things he says there are things he said in other books and in other epistles. He was not the one that was called to the Israelites, and it bugged him. He kept asking the Lord, can I, can, I, can I go to my people? No. Can I go to my people? I, I, I really believe that at some point the Lord said, no, you can't go to him, but you know what? Just go ahead and write him a letter. But Paul also couldn't sign that letter because he knows the very reason that he was not sent to them was because he was a literal traitor to them, which was a good thing. But that's what he was. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says. In, in fact, I'm not the only one that, that talks about him being confusing. I want you to turn, before we go to the Hebrews, turn to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, and this is Peter writing, and Peter, his ministry was to the Jews. His ministry was to the Jews. He's writing to the Jews here. Now, Jewish Christians, but still Jews. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord, Jesus, of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote, wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Wait a second, Peter is talking to Jews, and he said, claimed, that Paul wrote to them, right? Okay, there's a little bit of evidence there. As he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters. <laughs> I love this. There are some things, and I could just imagine Peter saying that there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own salvation. Is that what it said? No. You lose what? Your stability. You lose that level ground that foundation in which you can stand upon to build relationship upon. It says verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to Him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. So again, 
Peter was saying, yeah, Paul just has some confusing... He, he, he said some great things and, and it's a little confusing how he says it. So dive into it. Don't just take it at surface. Dive into it. Because you need to remain stable. If your foundation gets rocked, you cannot be stable. What is your foundation? The very foundation is the thing that you were given because you believed. Not that you earned, but you were given. And that is your justification of sin, what we call salvation, right? So let's go to Hebrews. There are two passages, Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 6, that are very confusing chapters. Okay, let's go to 10 first. Because I want to lay these out, because these are the passages used by those who do not believe that you, or who believe you can lose your salvation. They go to these chapters. And this is what they use as evidence. Again, they can't refute Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, which it all boils down to. Which, by the way, who wrote that? Paul. Yeah, Paul. He's kind of all over the place, isn't he? I love Paul. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to meet him. I cannot wait. What a passionate, passionate soul for Jesus Christ. So, so Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start at verse 26. You know what? Let's back up to 24 because 24 is real. I won't comment on it, but it's good to read. Let us consider how to stir one another up in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, what day? The day. Yeah, you notice in your Bible the the word day is capitalized. It, it, It is the day of God, the coming judgment of God, if you will. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the word of knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was, what? Sanctified. Sanctified. Not justified. Huge difference. Huge difference. And has outraged the spirit of grace, which takes us back to Matthew 12 and Mark chapter 3. So what's he saying here? It's about not sinning deliberately. You will be subjected to the same punishment that the world suffers in this life. Okay, do you understand that when we are saved and we begin to build relationship with Him, there are protections, there are are things that He does for us that He doesn't do for the world. You know that, right? You believe that. Right? I mean, I mean, we know that we can step in His will when there is nothing there and He says to step. We can step and there will be provision. I remember one time when Michael and I got on a plane, the Lord told us 
to get on a plane and go to Nigeria for the purpose of looking at land and buying land, right? We had 33 cents, 33 cents in our account. We didn't even have money to get a ride. We didn't have money to get food on the layover. We didn't have anything. But the Lord said to go. And by the way, to look for land. (laughs) Certainly didn't have money for land. By the time we landed in Nigeria, we had $20,000 in our account from somebody who had given it. Didn't know it was coming. The Lord just did it. Those are the provisions as a saved person walking in His will and in relationship with Him that I can not only go after, but I could expect. That, that's what relationship with Him is. It, it's literally walking where He says to walk and He takes care of the rest. Matthew 6.33 But to the world, they don't have that. They don't have that capability. And what the Lord is saying here is that if you are going to act like the world, then you will reap their same benefits. You will be judged according to what you do on this earth. And what will come to you will be a result of it. He is not talking about your eternal security. Now, included in that are what we talked about before, the rewards that we can earn here in this life, being stewards of what He has us steward. What are some of those rewards? Well, He tells us in in the parable of the talents, literally stewarding cities. Wait, that kind of sounds like Revelation 22 again. For eternity. Wait, you mean there's going to be cities in... In in heaven, there's going to be cities. There's going to be management. Wait a second. You're telling me I'm going to have a job? Okay. I thought I was going to just float on a cloud and just kind of be. If that isn't the dumbest thing. Of course you're going to have a job, and guess what? You're going to love it. I don't know how how many in here or how many listening get to do what they love. But how about doing that for eternity? Wow. So this is not talking about losing your salvation. If it is, you better explain to me Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It is talking about, however, what comes back on us when we do not walk in the will of God. When we have been given this perfect, pristine gift that we didn't earn... And we throw it away. We literally do not use it for him. That's what it's talking about. And that was was a little confusing, but let's go to the one that's a little more confusing. Hebrews 6. I really believe this is what Peter was talking about. Hebrews 6. You could just kind of take it, frame it. Hebrews 6. I'm just going to read it first. And we'll, we'll read the first six verses. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. <laughs> I love Paul. But doesn't that sound like anybody who's been to college, like you just walked into an economics professor that said, you know, now we're going to take you to the new level of understanding, you know, economic theory. 
and you're like, oh boy, here we go. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. Okay, he's talking about all these things that were issues that were being debated. Verse 3, And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible. Now, now by the way, what he's saying here is, I don't want to keep just talking about salvation. It's, it's where he talked about, you know, all you want is the milk. All you want is the milk. When do I get to give you the meat? And what he's saying here is, it's time for meat. It's time to talk about some, some of these things that you really need to know. You really need in, in your walk with Christ. Verse 4, For it is impossible in the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up in contempt. Now you read that, and you could say, see, you can lose your salvation. But here's a problem. If you lose your salvation, it's gone. Because you just said it's impossible for them to be restored again to repentance. That's a tough word. That's a tough word. But you better put it in the proper category to understand what it is saying. What's it saying? He quantified it at the very beginning. He said, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance. In other words, he's saying, we're not talking about repentance. We're not talking about justification of sin. We're talking about your walk. We're talking about you moving, living, breathing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about because all you want is, is milk. And he wants in that relationship you to have meat. You to start to understand who he is. Start to understand not just doctrines of being able to, to know something, but truly knowing who he is, knowing the intent of his heart. So Paul, right at the beginning, is saying, this isn't about justification. This is about sanctification. Again, it's not laying again the foundation of repentance. Then he goes into verses 4, 5, and 6 that are the most confusing of it. And that's what Peter referred to because he said, you know, he said in verse 4, first, it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. By the way, let's quantify that. Who's he talking about here? In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I used to think. Well, they, didn't, they just kind of heard about it. They didn't really accept. You know, they believed, but they didn't, like, dive in. Okay, no, 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 that's, that's not what it says. What it says here is those who have been enlightened, at one time, they were enlightened. Not partially enlightened. They didn't partially know. They were fully 
enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit. In other words, they received Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. They received that stamp of the Holy Spirit. They shared in His work. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. Why? Well, because if you do, you're crucifying Jesus again. The answer to this passage is actually really simple. It's the content or the construct in how you say it. Let me say it this way. Hopefully this will make sense. For it is impossible. And I'm, instead of laying all that out, I'm just going to say those who are saved, those, those who are justified in Jesus Christ. For it is impossible, those who are saved, to restore them again to repentance. Because then they're crucifying Jesus again. Shame on them. Okay, that's one way to say it. And in that way, you could believe that you could lose your salvation. Or you could say this, what I believe Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, we're not, we're not talking about justification of sin. We're talking about relationship with Jesus Christ. We're talking about sanctification. And, and why? Because it is impossible. It's impossible to restore those who dive off the other end. It's impossible to, to, to restore what they have built, the relationship that they have built. Now, I'm not saying that I fully understand that except to say that I believe they can go and build again. You know, I, I don't know. I, I never want to figure that one out. I, I'd rather stay there. But what he's saying is the, the statement is it's impossible. It's kind of like saying, of course this can't, can't happen because it's impossible to, to put Jesus Christ on the cross again. You can't do that. It's not even up to you. It was never your choice in the first place. It's only Jesus who put himself on the cross. So it's impossible for you to put him on the cross. Do you see what, what Paul here is saying is he's actually taking it out of your hands. It's impossible for you to put him on the cross. Not it's impossible for you to be restored. It's impossible for you to even, even put him on the cross. That's why, let's go to the next things. Let's not talk about just the justification. Let's go on to the next things that build maturity. Because it's impossible to keep crucifying Him over and over and over again. Which, in your mind, those who do not have confidence in Jesus Christ, I'm just curious. And not a raise of hands or... You know, it's more for online, but how many times have you asked him into your heart? Oh, man, messed up, lost this. Or, or maybe I, I don't know if I messed up, but I feel like I kind of messed up, and I don't know where the, where, where the real threshold is, so you know what? Just to be safe, I'm going to ask him into my heart again. Do you get a double stamp? <laughs> of course not. Of course not, because it has nothing to do with that. Why? Because it's impossible for you to put Jesus Christ back on the cross. You can't. It's not up to you. It was never up to you in the first place. So let's move on and look at another one of Paul's writings that I believe contradicts what he just said there. 
Look at Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, we're going to begin at verse 18. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Who are the branches? Those who believe. We're the branches. He's the vine, right? We're in the vine. We can't produce without the vine. Okay, that's what he's talking about leading up to this. So, um, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. And he's talking about Israel versus now the Gentile bride. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. That word there is to give awe, not be afraid, not live in fear. I'm going to go hide in a corner so God doesn't judge me. It's living in awe of who He is, knowing who He is. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue in His kindness. Wait a second, right there we automatically know He's not talking about justification of sin. Just in that statement, we know He's talking about relationship. We know He's talking about sanctification. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Do you you understand that 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 refutes the first way of reading Hebrews chapter 6? Saying that that they would lose their salvation, It, it refutes that. Because it says, wait a second, if you're talking about restoring them back to justification of sin and saying it's impossible, but yet Paul in Romans 11 just said, no, it's possible. In fact, it's more than possible. It's actually more natural. That's what he's saying. So if you think he's talking about justification of sin, then you've got a world of issues with the word of God in these passages. And what he's saying is, as long as we're breathing, as long as we're alive, we have choice. He will never take away our choice. He will always give us choice to follow him. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're almost done. (laughs) I like that. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse, we're going to start at verse 11. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also live with him. If we endure, we also reign with him. And, and God's going through this idea of relationship. Okay? 
And again, I'm trying to get you to understand the difference between justification and relationship or sanctification. Because the Bible is very clear on that separation. Again, let me just go back. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. Wait a second. Maybe you can lose your salvation. No, 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 no. Apply it the same way it's applied to everything else, which is to relationship, to sanctification. Because it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. He's the one that paid for you. You are his prize. He is not your prize. I mean, I guess it works both ways, but you didn't pay for anything. He paid for everything. If we fall in faith and are saved, He is faithful to hold us. Even though in the previous statement He said, He will deny us. Right there it shows you a difference between the two. There will be people in heaven that do not have access to Jesus Christ. Do not have access to the Father. We talked about that in Revelation 22. It said some will not be able to even enter. By the way, it's interesting to study that. Who? It lists all these sins. Well, wait a second. I thought they were all in hell. There is a justification of sin and there is a sanctification of your life with Jesus Christ that literally decides your relationship with Him for eternity. Because right now it is built by faith. It's not the same as it says in 1 Corinthians 13 when you see Him face to face. Because then there's no faith. There can't be. You see Him face to face. Now is when we can build that relationship with Him by faith. And only now. So God is faithful even when we're not. And turn to the last, 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 3 through 8. We'll start at chapter, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that per- pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them... By by the way, that's more than one promise. There's an S there. Promise says. So it's more than just eternal life. So that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. And this is the whole reason 
why He has said all of these things in terms of building that relationship. He said, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, in other words, not falling, not decreasing, not staying stagnant, if they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then go down to verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Again, not talking about your eternal security. It's talking about your relationship with Jesus Christ. One of the the most awesome thoughts to me, and I want this to grip the bride as much as possible, Your opportunity is now, guys, while you're breathing, while you're alive, while your choices require faith, because Hebrews 11 says faith is what pleases Him. Right now is your opportunity in building relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know what it looks like afterwards. I know when we're face-to-face with Him, we're not in faith anymore because it's just right there in front of us. I don't know what building relationship with with him looks like for eternity. I, I won't comment on that. I won't say there's no opportunity because he just flat out doesn't say anything about it. I can tell you that the opportunity is real right now. I can tell you that the placement of you in eternity has to do with that faith right now. So going all the way back to the beginning, in fact, turn back with me, last thing, to Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read it again, verse 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, when you received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you were then sealed, you were stamped, you were guaranteed, you were covered by who? with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until you receive it. So perhaps when you walk through the gates of heaven one day, that stamp will be taken off because the Holy Spirit did His job guaranteeing your promise that you never earned You only believed and you accepted. Let that be your foundation. Let that be your confidence. Because if it is not, again, it doesn't mean you'll lose your salvation. But Satan will come against you in your walk with him. You will start to see, and and those who do believe you can lose your salvation, look at your life right now. Do you have a tendency in your lens to look at works? Well, I'm going to do this because I'll face judgment if I don't. Okay, I mean, there's truth there, but not the judgment of going downhill for him to finally take away your salvation. There's that way of looking at life. Then there's the other way. Oh, man. 
Jesus gave me everything. He did everything for me. My motivation is not out of fear. My motivation is out of confidence of what He did for me. I want to give back because it's literally the only thing I can give. There are only two things in my life I could give Jesus Christ. With everything He did for me, there are only two things. And this is the same with anybody. I could give Him my faith, and I could give Him my obedience. Those two things are precious to Him. Faith being first. So, so I walk from a foundation of confidence. Not that He's watching what I do. Getting a little close to that line, going to snap it away. After he worked with that one. No. No. I go and I build relationship with him. When I screw up and he shows it to me, I lay it before him and I say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. It's not my intent to hurt our relationship. It's not my intent to have anything come between us. I want to be free to have the confidence to walk in relationship with Him. Imagine a bride who does that. A unified bride who does that will conquer the world. It will eradicate the enemy. And that's what's coming. That's what even has begun. Why do you think Satan's so afraid right now? Because he knows what's coming. He knows this land that was given to him by Adam is being taken back, is being taken away from him. Absolutely. This nation is his. It is not Satan's any longer. Because there is a remnant bride who is risen up, honestly, in spite of the rest of the bride, to take it. And his bride will rule. Come on up. Before, before I, we close out today, I, I feel like um, the Lord does want one question answered in, in light of things that can divide the bride and the misunderstandings and even contradictions in Scripture. So if you would just briefly um, just help people understand the statement that can easily be misunderstood. We know the greatest punishment we can face is separation from God for those that don't accept him. So to make the statement that um, there will be those in heaven that don't have access to Jesus. Some people may not have heard previous messages. Go ahead and just explain that. Yeah. There... <laughs> okay, what you're asking me is the very reason why there, were trouble, there, there was trouble early on in the first place. You understand that, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, so when I say this, just remember I didn't bring it up. It was asked of me. You have, in the Godhead, you have a trinity. And that's, that's, we all know that. That's fairly simple. You have God the Father, God the Son, okay? And, by the way, he was God the Son before he was Jesus Christ, right? Except prophetically, of course. And then you have the Holy Spirit. All three are equal to the Godhead. But three have different functions in the Godhead, right? Because the Bible, the Bible even says when it talked about Jesus Christ that, that he, uh, it wasn't for him to want to try and attain the level of God. Why? Because he already had that. 
It was already his. It was already his that what? That he purposely handed over in operation when he came to this earth. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, inserted himself into his own creation and became a man, he became fully man. Why? To show us the way. To show us... Well, it, it wasn't just to die for our sins. I mean, if that's all it was, that would have been enough. But it wasn't just that. He also showed us how to live. He wouldn't have needed to have a ministry and everything else if, if it was just about dying for our sins. He also wanted to show us that we could walk in Him. If He ever did any of that as God it would have been negated for us. Because we're not God. We can't follow in the footsteps of Him acting as God. Why do you think He was tempted so bad by Satan? The very temptation Satan said was, eh, jump off this, they'll catch you. You know, do this, do that. He knew He was God, and He knew that Jesus would not act as God when he was here. Does that mean he wasn't God? No. He never stopped being God. But he operated fully as a man. That was what he chose to do because that's what was required of the redemption. Justification meant that he could not just give it to us and let sin go. There was a law. There was a law that had to be upheld. So he operated as a man. When he rose from the dead, he was then eventually given a glorified body. In fact, right at the beginning, he said, Mary, don't, don't hang on me. I am not yet glorified. He went through the very same steps that we're going to go through. We will also have a glorified body, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, and that sort of thing. Okay, but Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, went to, ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father. Until what? Until the Father makes his enemies his footstool. Now, wait a second. Jesus Christ is God. Couldn't he just say, boom, done with it? I already paid. It's over with. No. Why? Because that victory is not what he's after. He's after what he lost in the garden. He lost relationship with us in the garden. That's what he lost. That's what he paid for. That's what he's after. So even now, <laughs> he doesn't follow his emotion in doing what he wants to do. What does he want to do? He wants to eradicate the enemy. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to give your life for Him. Do you think as God He could make you do that? Sure He can. Sure He can. Not if He wants love. Because the one thing that He had to keep in place was choice. So here's a tough, here's a tough reality. In order for that to be our reality and Him show us the way, it had to be His. 
Do you get me? Jesus Christ, when he became, came here as man, he had choice. He had choice to get on that cross or not. If you believe he only acted as God, then you are missing the power of his blood. The power of that sacrifice. It says Jesus Christ obeyed in his understanding. He obeyed in what he learned. He was obedient in that. Obedient to who? To his Father in heaven. He had to learn that. He, scripture says he learned obedience. Well, if he was already God and acted as God, why did he have to learn anything? Why, as a baby, didn't he just not cry? You know? Why didn't he just automatically know how to go to the bathroom on the toilet? I mean, really, I, I don't know about you. I've thought of these things. You know, I, can, I, can, I, I would love to sit down and talk with Mary and, you know, what, what is it like to have God as your child? Did she have to change his diapers? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know, I, he learned obedience. The Bible teaches that until you are at that place of understanding... You're not held accountable. It says that about Jesus. So Jesus was different. In answering your question, Jesus was different, and he still is. Our placement in eternity is about proximity to him. And here's the part where everybody turned away from us. <laughs> there are things that Jesus Christ gave up for your eternal security. One of those was the aspect of being a man and staying a man. Not that he lost his Godhead and not that he isn't God now. He is. But one thing he did choose to lose is being omnipresent. That's a, when you think about that choice that he made for you, that's huge. That's huge. So wait a second. When we, when we, when we die, we, we get to be with, with Christ, right? Even here, we get to be with Christ. If, if you and I are with Christ, and I go out front and you stay in here, which one does Christ stay with? Both of us. Look at closely in the scripture, who is actually with us? The Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ. Who is the Spirit of Christ? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is His Spirit. Who is Christ? Christ is not Jesus' last name. I mean, that's kind of what we think. Jesus Christ, Christ must be His last name, His surname. No. Christ is His title. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. So who is with us? When, when we go to heaven, what does it mean to be in proximity to Jesus Christ? Does it mean that those who are outside of, of the city of Jerusalem and not able to go in, does that mean that they, they never have Christ? No, they have His Spirit. 
as well as the fathers. The reward certainly can be in stewardship, but it is also in proximity, as it talks about in some of the parables, of being cast into the outer darkness. What the Greek there really means is the less light. It's away from proximity of Jesus Christ. Did that answer the question? Did it cause more more strife and turmoil? Am I going to get emails? I don't know. Okay, there we go. Uh, This is a lot to chew on, so I'm just going to close us in prayer. Um, I really hope you'll listen again to this because the, the profound revelation in what was explained and laid out today in Scripture really has everything to do with the victory that you have every single day and what it means to be in Christ Jesus. Uh, If you don't understand these things, these aren't just things that people that are into the intellectual deep study of the Word of God are into. This is something every single believer needs to understand. And without that understanding, brings the weakness to the bride, which has happened. Because um, everybody touts we need to be like Jesus. But when it comes right down to it, what does it even mean to be like Jesus? What does it even mean to be in Christ Jesus? When, when somebody asks you, do you really know him? People always respond, oh, yes, I prayed the sinner's prayer. I'm going to heaven. That may be true. That's not what I asked. Do you know him? See, when we ask, do you know him as your personal savior, you may have prayed the sinner's prayer and your spirit is sealed and you are, you're going to go to heaven. But that doesn't mean you know him. I've been building a relationship for 34 years with Greg. The time we said I do, by comparison, I was barely introduced to him. And, of course, you know, in some cultures, even today, they marry given by the parents. Don't even know each other, but they're making that commitment. They're being introduced. They're receiving the commitment of the marriage, and then they begin to build that relationship. To back 34 years ago say that I have this relationship with Greg I wouldn't have even known what I was speaking of. And, of course, I would have said, yes, yes, we have a relationship. We have a relationship. I know him. He knows me. Wow, what we didn't know about each other was like a lot. (laughs) That's why you stand up there and say, for better or worse. Um, And, you know, so, so what is marriage? It's a picture of Christ and the church. So these are things that are really critically important to understand for our victory. Not to debate and divide us. In the body of Christ, but to go into a search and an understanding into the word of God together, iron sharpening iron, revelation feeding into someone else's revelation and, and, and understanding and, and having an open heart as a Berean to learn of him. Um, it, it's, it's a wonderful ride and the enemy has used these issues to so divide us with a bitterness that is so unfortunate. And it causes the bride to then be completely paralyzed. And now what do we have? We have a world where the truth, the diminished voice of truth in the church, knowing, led by the Spirit of God, of knowing the Word of God, is so small, it's allowing blasphemy and lies to reign. To the very changing of our definitions, to the stealing of our alphabet, 
in the uh, all the little symbols, LGBTQ, ABC, you know, there's a there's a theft of these definitions that are stealing the way we understand everything because truth has ceased to reign in the public square. And so when we understand these things, it gives us victory. So don't think that this and never think, man, prepare your heart before you come to service. Prepare your heart. This ought to be a time of us spilling out from the secret place when we rise into one another in the body of Christ. Not to come and get our church on. You know, it's like, okay, I need something, man. I barely got myself in the door, man. Give me something, man. I'm dragging. There can be times like that. There can be battle-weary moments. But the Lord Jesus Christ is our encouragement. We ought to rise to give him praise. Let him encourage us. And now I'm so filled with encouragement, I can pour out to Georgia, to Angie, to Wendy, and we can encourage one another and learn. But pray. Pray for revelation. Pray for revelation from the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you. My brain cannot absorb some of these deep truths in the Word of God. That's why John 14, 25, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a guide. What is a guide? Have you ever taken a guide through the, a tour through a museum? The guide does nothing but talk. That's all they do. If you're a guide, you talk. That's why it's absurd to think that the, that the Lord doesn't speak outside of just intellectually reading his word. He gave us a talker who speaks to us and guides us in his word. Praise God. So go back over this again. It's so critical. It's so important. So just such revelation. It's so exciting to learn of him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God. Thank you, God. We worship you. We praise you. God, I am so in awe of this free gift that you have given us in salvation that that allows me to enter into a beginning place of relationship with you. And having done that at 11 years old on my driveway, pressed up my back, pressed up against our garage door all by myself, when I invited you, Jesus, into my heart, I thank you for what you did just teaching me your ways. And there was an infiltration of various false doctrines through the years, but you helped me to get that straightened out and are still just giving me truth, guided by your Holy Spirit. God, when we seek truth, when we seek you, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we will find you, God. You promise that. When we seek you, we'll find you. When we draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. So, God, I just praise you for that. I thank you so much. My heart is overwhelmed with what you offer us. God, help us to receive it with the fullness of faith to believe who you are and then who we are in you. That we might rise in this day, in this hour, for such a time as this, to take back what the evil has stolen on this earth. We will unite and take territory back from all of hell's kingdom. God, as you determined. God, I just praise you. We lift up the name of Jesus. Take us from this place just filled with you and seeking you throughout the rest of this day until we gather again on Tuesday. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.